Now, the last few weeks, we've been studying the Olivet Discourse. That is the teaching that Jesus brought from the Mount of Olives. And in chapter 24, we learn about all the things that are going to happen in the end times. And then in chapter 25, he gives us some analogies to think about. And one of them is a wedding day. And we're saying that I'm going to live in anticipation of Jesus and the wedding day. Now, it's a rarity anymore. I've got some weddings coming up that I'm going to be doing. I've done probably hundreds in my life. I've only married one person. Uh, myself, but I've, I've conducted the ceremony for many and I've got more coming up. But the longer that I live and the more that I've been in ministry, the less anticipation there is about that wedding day. You know why? Because everything's already happened long before the wedding day, unfortunately. Now, for my, my wedding day was really special. I tried to honor God with my life, and I was a virgin when I got married. And I want to tell you, I was in great anticipation for my wedding day. I was looking forward to that. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. It's a rarity that these days, and you, children, you kids, you teenagers, listen, if you can stay pure... If you can honor God, there's going to be such great anticipation and some nerves for your wedding day, but it's going to be so worth it. And the Bible says that God's kingdom coming, and we're the, we're the bride, we're the church as the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom, and he's coming, and we're going to be together forever. And that anticipation should drive every day of our life what we do because we want to be pure for him. Now, what you need to understand as we think about Hebrew weddings and we study the scriptures written primarily by Hebrew people, Hebrew men and women, Hebrews says this, in, that, that he, there's three phases with Hebrew weddings, three phases. The first one is the betrothal. Remember Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed to be married. They weren't actually physically husband and wife yet. They had not consummated the marriage physically but the Bible says that they were betrothed to be married. That was the first phase of a Hebrew wedding. It was often arranged by parents. You know, a lot of places in the world now, especially Eastern countries, this is still a practice where parents arrange marriages for their children. I thought it was a horrible idea when I was a teenager, but when I became a parent, I thought it was a great idea. You know, you parents know what I mean. I mean, an awesome idea to, to find somebody that's perfect and, and godly and, and they have godly character and they're hard workers and they're faithful and you, you, you'd love to put them together with your children. Well, this betrothal was arranged usually by parents when the children were just small children. And so there was this betrothal period and in the Christian life, the comparison here is that in eternity past somewhere, God is not contained to time as we are, but somewhere in eternity past as we know it, God decided that he was going to save people and that he was going to send Jesus and he was going to be married to those people and he was going to call them the church. That's the betrothal period. The second phase of Hebrew weddings was what was called the presentation. Several days before the official ceremony, the, the bridegroom went to the bride's home where she lived with her mother and father, and he took this woman 
to his home. This was the second phase of a Hebrew wedding. He went away from his home, got her, brought her from her home into his home. Now, the second phase for the church is the rapture. In eternity past, God provided salvation, and he talks about choosing and us receiving Christ as Savior. That happened in eternity past in God's mind. And then at a certain time in, in history, which the Bible talks about and was week two of our study, the was week one of our study, actually, the bridegroom is going to come from his home in heaven. He's going to snatch out his bride and take her, take us, take us who know Christ as Savior to be with him. That's called the presentation. So in eternity past, God planned our salvation. At the rapture is going to be the second phase called the presentation. And then today we're studying about the actual ceremony. The Bible calls it the wedding feast or the wedding supper of the Lamb. This is when the exchanging of vows took place. And when you stood before each other, and my, I remember my wife, I can remember the wedding day. I was nervous as, all, as I could be. But I remember seeing her in her wedding dress. Now, we weren't real traditional. We actually went and got pictures in our wedding outfits the day before. It was fall in North Carolina, and we were in Reedsville, and we went out in the country, and she was in her wedding gown, and I was in my black tuxedo. We were looking good. And we went out in the beautiful fall foliage and took pictures. But that wasn't the ceremony. The ceremony was the next day, and where we exchanged vows, and we exchanged ring, rings, and we had a celebration, and we had some food. And, you know, in the Jewish, in the Hebrew mind, this was the capstone of the three phases when the celebration took place. And we're going to look at that in just a minute in Revelation chapter 19. So the, and this is called the marriage supper of the land, where we party down in heaven and where we celebrate with our family what Jesus Christ has done for us and who he is. And so those three phases, today we want to talk about that ceremony. Now I want to in light of the fact that our bridegroom is coming for us and we are to be a chaste, a pure, a holy virgin bride for him, I want you to write this down. I will live in purity. I will live in purity. Now, I want to pause for a minute because some of you are like, preacher, it's a little late for me. I should have heard this message a long time ago. Let me tell you something. Perhaps you've lost your virginity a long time ago and you're young. Or perhaps you're married and you've been married a long time. Perhaps things in your marriage aren't what they ought to be. Listen, from this day forward, you can decide that you're going to confess your sin, you're going to repent of it, and you're going to make things right with God, and you're going to live purely for him until he comes. Now, sometimes you're going to stumble and you're going to fall because the Bible says if, if any man doesn't stumble, he's a perfect man, and there's no perfect people. But in general, you can live purely for Christ, and you can honor him with your life. And I'm going to live purely. I decided when I was a little boy, and I heard what God had to say about purity, that I was going to be pure until the day that I got married. We, as Christians, need that tenacity and that decisiveness that we say, God, I'm going to live for you purely alone for you. You are my bridegroom. I'm your bride until you come because I'm beginning my life from this day forward at least with the end in mind. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 and 27 paint a picture for us of this wedding. Husbands, love your wives. See Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that is, to make her purely his own, having cleansed her by washing of water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or any wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, when a person comes to Christ, they have been living in a state called death, spiritual death. And they're separated from a holy God because of sin. When a person receives the gift that Jesus Christ gave and offers to everyone of eternal life that he died in your place on the cross and he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he says he's coming back. The moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, you place into a different category. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You were lost. You were separated from God. And the moment you come to Jesus Christ, and for you that could be today, The moment you come to Jesus Christ, he forgives you of your sin. But you're still not completely perfect in the way that you live your life. Is there anybody here today that will say, I am perfect. I'm living perfect. Anybody at all? All right, good. We were going to have to get our security team to escort you out of the building because you don't fit in with the rest of us. None of us are perfect. But we studied in one of our weeks in the series last week that on the judgment day, when we stand before the beam of seat and the beams of the light of the eyes of Jesus Christ evaluate our life and we give account to him, that's when he does the final purging, the final cleansing. Our sins have been forgiven, but we still have got blemishes and wrinkles. And this is when he purifies his church for presentation for the ceremony day of the marriage feast of the Lamb. That's exciting. The one day all of our blemishes, all of our wrinkles spiritually will be gone. All of our struggles will be gone. I don't know about you, but I'll be glad for that day. I'll be so glad when I'm not tempted anymore, when I'm not tempted to sin anymore, when I'm not tempted to be unfaithful to the Lord anymore. I'll look forward to that day. And so the Bible says that Jesus loves his church and gave himself for A lot of people today, maybe some of you, maybe some of you listening online or watching this uh, video cast. Maybe some of you are like, ah, I don't really love the church. I've been hurt there too many times. Somebody wronged me. Somebody hurt me. Maybe a pastor. Listen, the Bible says Jesus loves his church. And he's purifying his church. And we're not completely purified yet in the way that we live our lives. But by God's grace, we're not what we used to be. Amen? He's working on us. He's working on us. And he's purifying us. But he loves his church. So I'm going to begin with the end in mind. I'm going to live in anticipation that Jesus, my bridegroom, is going to come. And I don't want to be caught in an unfaithful situation when he comes back. And then I'm going to live in purity. I'm going to dedicate my life to my bridegroom. And then, if you drive this down, I'll praise and worship Jesus now and forever. Remember we said we're going to begin with the end in mind. We're going to read a passage where the angels of heaven and the saints of heaven in uproarious worship, worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever. So we might as well start now and get used to it and get ourselves ready and in the mind frame to praise and worship Jesus. I will praise and worship Jesus now and forevermore. What we do in life echoes in eternity. So we're preparing now. For eternity. So now we get to Revelation 19. I'm going to read 10 verses here. Revelation 19, verse 1 says this. After I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah. That means praise to God. Salvation and glory and power belong to God 
For his judgments are true and just, and he's judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth, this impure church, these impure people, this prostitute, this false religion, has prostituted, uh, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So what's happening here? If you read through Revelation, all these judgments are coming out on the earth. And that one of the judgments just before this passage in Revelation 19 is when the Bible calls it a whore. Modern terminology, a prostitute. Who is this prostitute? Who is this whore? It's an immoral, corrupt, fake church. Possibly at this time in Revelation when when this takes place, a worldwide global religion that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, doesn't believe as God is the creator of the universe, but a false, a fake world religion that has corrupted the doctrine of the Bible and has thrown it away, has thrown away Jesus Christ, and has led billions and billions of people into and seduced them into her bed to commit holotry against the God of the universe who made them. Well, the Bible says that just before we get to this passage, that God has purged that false religion, false church. He's sent them away. He sent them to judgment. And now the angels in heaven and the saints, you and I who know Jesus, who've been redeemed and washed in his blood, we stand before him and we're worshiping and we're praising God and we're giving hallelujahs. And there's going to be four of these hallelujahs in this passage. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Verse 2, for the judgments are true and just. He's judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of of his servants. So many people during the tribulation period are martyred for their faith. Verse 3, once more they cried out hallelujah. Here's the second hallelujah. The smoke from her, the smoke from this immoral, this idolatrous generation, this idolatrous church that worships false gods, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders, the elders of the church, the apostles, possibly leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel too, we don't know for sure who these 24 elders are in heaven, leaders of God's people, and the four living creatures, these angelic beings in heaven, they fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah, there's number three, hallelujah, praise be to God. And from the throne came a voice, verse five, saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters. I'm picturing a big stadium full of people. But we're not talking about 80,000 people. We're talking about millions of people. Millions of people who've come to Christ. There's this great stadium of people who've come to know Christ. And there was this voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Pause there with me a second. How many of you have been to, to Niagara Falls? Raise your hand. Niagara Falls. You can go on the American side. You can go across to Niagara Falls, Ontario, and see the Horseshoe Falls. Do you know what Niagara means? It's an Indian term. It means thundering waters. It's a picture that we have here. Thundering waters, like the applause of millions of people, like thundering waters, like this big cataract of water that's making all of this sound. And if you ever go underneath 
Niagara Falls. You can go through these caves and get actually behind the falls and be looking out. And there's just this sound, this roar, the sound of the water that's just overwhelming. This is the praise of God's people and of God's angels in heaven. The roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out. Verse, now, here's the fourth hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you say it with me? Hallelujah. It means praise our God. Ready? Hallelujah. Saying hallelujah for the Lord our God almighty reigns. The Lord our God almighty reigns. All evil has been put aside. All sin has been put aside. It's been put out of our lives. We don't struggle anymore. There's no wrinkles or blemishes in us spiritually. The Lord God Almighty reigns, verse 7. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Here we go. For the marriage, here is the ceremony. The marriage feast. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, this is not talking about saving herself or getting herself into the kingdom of God by her own. She's received Christ as her Savior. Millions of people, billions of people have received Christ as their Savior. And now they've spent the rest of their life with the end in view. From the beginning of walking with Christ, they had the end in view. And so they've been preparing for this day. Are you preparing for the day that Jesus comes? The marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Now look at verse 8. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen. Again, this is not saving herself. This is something that God is working in her life, also by grace. Now watch what it says. This is fascinating to me. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Is Is it important how you live as a Christian on this earth? You better believe it. Her garment, the fabric of her garment, is linen, fine, pure white linen, and it's the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. And so he's, he, he just is so overwhelmed with the Announcement of this angel, he momentarily, Paul knows better, uh, John knows better, he falls down momentarily and starts to worship the angel. And the angel says, no, there's only one. Not angels, not people, not the pope. Nobody is deserving of worship except the God who made you and created you, the God of the universe. And he says, don't do it. Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what is prophecy all about? This series is about prophecy, the end of the beginning. The prophecy is about Jesus. This Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ is what all of prophecy is about. Now, this passage teaches us about two different things. All right, so these people are not in heaven because they did good works. They're in heaven because one person, and what's his name? Jesus, Jesus, did good works for them. He died for them. He was buried and he rose again. These people are in heaven because they've trusted Christ. But in heaven, by the grace of God, working in their life, God working, and they working together as a team, the Spirit of God inside of you, 
working his grace, and you working alongside of God by his power, you're creating for your future. With the end in mind, you can put your finger over to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13 real quickly, and we see this partnership of God working with people to create good deeds with the end in mind. Philippians 2, 12 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Now look carefully and listen, hang with me here, because it's going to be confusing at first. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So if you read that at face value and you don't study the context and study the whole verse, it says work out your own salvation. So some people have taken that phrase out of context and without the rest of Scripture and without the rest of that verse to mean that, yeah, if you're going to get saved, you've got to do it yourself. If you're working on your own salvation to get to heaven, you're never going to make it. Never. So what does it mean? It means that God has put something in you. His spirit is inside of you. He's saved you. He's regenerated you. He's made you a new person. And now your job, in tandem with the Holy Spirit who lives in you, in partnership with God, is to bring that out to the service. That's what it means to work out your salvation. Like when you're needing dough and you've got lumps and stuff and you're going to work it out. You're going to bring it out to the surface. This is what God's saying. If you can begin with the end in mind that God is purifying you and you're going to work together with him because he's going to bring to the surface the salvation that he's put inside of you. You're not working to save yourself. You're working in partnership with God that that salvation makes it out to the surface, makes it to your face, makes it into your language. That, that salvation that God has worked makes it into your finances. That that salvation that God has begun working inside of you and that salvation that he's completed that work of Christ, now he's going to bring that salvation out to the surface in your life with your moral purity. That even though everybody else is disregarding what God has to say about fidelity and marriage and holiness and purity and being chaste and being a virgin, that you're going to allow God to work that out in you and bring it to the surface. I've got a quote for you that just blew my mind when I read it that goes with this passage because it says that it was granted to the church to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That's verse 8. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Check this quote out. Has it ever occurred to you that at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that each of us will be wearing a wedding garment of our own making. Wow. Again, this is not salvation. God saved you. Now you're working with the Holy Spirit. He's working in you by his grace. He's bringing through the surface of things. And as you work, your garment is produced. Not your salvation. Garment, the thing that comes to the surface. You know, when you go to a wedding, it's all about the dress, right? Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, we're the bride, but the focus in a heavenly wedding is the bridegroom. And how will you be dressed 
based upon the way that you're living your life? Has it ever occurred to you that you're going to be wearing a garment of your own making of how you've lived your life and you say to your bridegroom who's coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, this is, I'm not doing anything to earn your favor. I can't. But because I love you, I'm not trying to pay you back because I can never do that. I'm not trying to give back to you what you've given to me and pay you back somehow so that we're even. I can never do that. But God, because I belong to you, I'm going to be pure. I'm going to give you my mind. I'm going to give you my body. I'm going to give you my sexuality. I'm going to give you my choices. I'm going to give you my money. I'm going to give you my children. I'm going to give you my grandchildren. I'm going to give you my job. I'm going to give you my life. Last week, we had uh, Nathan and Mandy Garrett here who came up, and they've dedicated their life to going to world missions, to unreached people groups. God might be calling some of you to do that, and you're just, you've been resisting for a while. Many of you, he, he may not ever call to that, but here's what he does call you to, to purity, to holiness, to faithfulness to his church. To be built, sewing a wedding garment that you're going to be proud of. It's all about the dress. As a next step this week, would you write this down? I will sew with the finished product in mind. Now, notice how we spelled sew. Now, there's a sew, S-O-W, when we use, when we talk about sewing and reaping. Here, we're talking about needlework. I've, one of my children is learning how to sew. She's been writing letters to us, said she's learning how to sew for the first time ever. This is, I'm going to sew, I'm going to be sewing on my wedding garment, anticipating my wedding day when my bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes. I do not want to be embarrassed when he comes. I'm going to sew with the finished product in mind. Pastor Brian and I were talking as we prayed together this morning. Most of us don't sew intentionally. In fact, Maybe just out of curiosity, is there anybody here this morning wearing a garment of some kind that you made with your own hands? Anybody at all? Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? That used to be not the case, right? Used to be in the olden day, everybody made what they had. You know, they, they sewed it. And even if it was a burlap sack, right? You made it, you know? But you were proud of it. All right? The Bible says that as we sew... So shall we reap. That's S-O-W, but that's also S-E-W. How are you sewing together your garment? Are you sewing a healthy Christian life? The, the programs that you watch on the television and on the Internet and the, the shows that you binge watch and all of those things, how you use your time, how faithful are you to the things of God in his church and his word? How are you sowing? Are you sowing in a healthy way? I will sow with the finished product in mind. So for me, this is one of the things that Covey says, that, but I learned it from my mentor years ago about how to live your life. Every one of you needs to develop, and this can be very simple. You could do it today. This is your assignment for the week. Write your own personal life mission statement. I'm going to live my life on purpose. I'm going to live it for my bridegroom who's coming. I'm going to live it for Jesus Christ. I'm going to sow intentionally 
And so I'm going to develop, and I'm going to ask God to guide me, and I'm going to read the scripture, I'm going to ask him to guide me, and I'm going to write my own personal mission statement. Here's mine. It's been a little longer through the years. I've just hyphenated it to say this. To use the shape, and we talked about our spiritual gifts, our heart, our uh, abilities, our, our personality, and our experiences in life, the shape, the things that have made us who we are. I'm going to use my shape. I'm going to use the shape that God has given me to encourage people to Jesus, people who don't know him. I'm going to encourage them with the scriptures and with showing kindness and deeds of mercy and, and good works towards them, helping them. I'm going to do that, use my shape that God has given me to encourage people to Jesus and to encourage people, the church, in Jesus to help you grow. That's, that's been my life mission statement for years in so many words. God, I believe, has given me a gift of encouragement. And I want to encourage people to come to know Jesus, and I want to encourage people to grow in Jesus. This is what I'm sowing. This is the finished product that I have in mind. What's the finished product for your life? What do you want it to look like? What does God want it to look like? How are you sowing? So would you think about that this week? Think about, Lord God, why am I on this planet? Maybe you don't know him yet. That's the first step. You've got to get to know him before you can get married to him. You've got you to come into his family. And then you grow and you get to know him. And if you haven't come to know him yet, you need to do that today. But if you do know him, how are you sowing? What's your really wedding garment going to look like when you stand before Jesus? Would you pray with me? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of you are listening and watching online. Thank you for doing that. Listen, would you do right now, would you decide right now that you will be a pure bride for Jesus Christ and that you will live your life for him in such a way that when he comes, that you won't be ashamed? That means confessing and repenting of sin some habits, some thoughts, some relationships, some priorities in your life that you know are not pleasing to God. Christians, would you get those things right? I believe that there's a spirit in some in our church right now. I believe the spirit of God's been saying to me, there's some people that's got some things that need to be repented of, turned away from, so that you can sow the right thing. If you need to talk to one of us, we'll be available after the service. If you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would come to know him today. Would you pray with me as we prepare for communion? Lord God, we thank you for your word. The entrance of your word gives us light. It gives us understanding. We pray that we would see the end from the beginning, that we would see where we're headed eternally, and that we would know and that we would prepare and we'd be prepared for what's coming ahead, Lord. We ask that we would do today what we'd be glad we've done when we stand before you. And the Lord, we would love on you every day, that we would worship you, we would commune with you and have fellowship with you every day. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.